everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Beltesworth. And welcome to the moment I'm sure everyone has been waiting for. That is the Kansas State football preview. It's a tradition at this point, though we've done it significantly later this time than we have before, which uh, probably the better decision. I fear. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it was. It was good to wait um, past media days and whatnot to pick up some names that certainly weren't on our radar. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that's one way to describe it. So basically what we're going to do here is we're going to go over last year, what we're returning, what we're losing. We're going to go over a little bit of depth chart projections at the end and then do sort of predictions for the season itself. But Let's go ahead and just start off with the offensive stats for last year. I have you for that, as well as the notable returners and adds after the defensive stats, which Connor has. But last year was a 10-4 season for the K-State Wildcats, including a Big 12 championship and a game that we're not going to discuss against Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. It was a 7-2 conference record. They ran for 2,912 rushing yards, 5.1 per attempt, and 32 rushing touchdowns. Excuse me, nearly 3K passing yards with 2,947 at 7.6 per attempt. A completion percentage of 62.2%, 21 touchdowns to 6 interceptions, a 38.97 third down percentage. Perhaps the roughest stat on here is red zone percentage, the touchdowns specifically, only scoring a touchdown on 57.1% of red zone trips, but scoring on 89.3% of them giving up only 21 sacks, getting an average of 32.3 points per game for a total of 452 points for. And that's real. those are all really solid offensive statistics with the exception of red zone touchdowns. But everything else is about where you'd want it to be to be considered a, you know, a top, we'll say quarter, or just maybe, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit outside top quarter offense in the country. Yeah, that red zone touchdown percentage is not good, and there's really no way around that. Um, I guess the uh, the way to look at it in a positive light is that when Will Howard was at quarterback, K State was significantly better at making it to the end zone instead of settling for field goals. Yeah. So. I think we can take that as a silver lining. And also, same thing, third down percentage wasn't quite as good uh, when Adrian Martinez was in a quarterback. Uh, he was very much a needs-to-get-ahead in the early downs uh, type of QB. But uh, Will Howard is a little bit more flexible in those situations. Um, but yeah, otherwise, yeah, there's not a whole lot to complain about here. Solid touchdown-interception ratio. Passing and rushing are remarkably balanced as well, um, separated by only 35 yards in total uh so pretty impressive to keep it that close um but yeah of course really solid offensive year for k-state it's pretty tough to go 10 and 4 <laughs> if you don't have a solid offensive year yeah so and yeah we, we need more of that this year yeah but you have the the defensive stats i'm getting into the defense they gave up 21.86 points per game Total of 306 points against them. They gave up 3,141 passing yards and 21 touchdowns through the air. And then they gave up 2,111 rushing yards with 15 rushing touchdowns. Uh, in the red zone, they allowed scores 82.5% of the time, 67.5% of the time. They gave up touchdowns. 
And then they had 16 interceptions, 13 fumbles, 30 sacks, and a turnover differential of plus 12, which was among the best in the country, if I recall. Yeah, that's a really insane turnover differential. So the defense was also pretty good last year, but let's take a look at uh, what K-State is bringing back in terms of, of notable notable pieces here. Of course, you have the starting quarterback for the back half of last year in Will Howard. He ends up returning. You have Ben Sinnott, who came on to be one of the best tight ends in the league, arguably in the country, towards the back end of last season as well. This is really big. The entire starting offensive line from last year is back, which is just amazing for unit cohesion. Plus, you have you know the individual pieces, like uh, the consistency of Christian Duffy and uh, the reliability of, K- of Katori Leviston, and of course, the what a lot of people are saying is a first-round interior offensive lineman in Cooper Beebe. But outside of that, it is uh, Daniel Green returning in the linebacker room right alongside Austin Moore, the Mike and Will Backers, respectively. Kobe Savage is coming back from last year and also is recovering from a knee injury. In terms of additions, Keegan Johnson, the wide receiver from Iowa, is coming in alongside Trayshawn Ward, the running back from Florida State, who was selected to be the Big 12 uh, Newcomer of the Year on offense. And then Marquez Seigel is the defensive back from North Dakota State, probably the starting jack safety. So all in all, a really solid collection of returning players as well as additions, but doesn't mean nothing was lost because admittedly, there were quite a few things that were lost. Yeah, of course the biggest loss is Deuce Vaughn. Um, that's the one that everybody knows. That's kind of one of the big talking points this offseason, um, especially amongst uh, the more regional and national media. Um, it's not as big of a concern locally, but broadly, the loss of Deuce Vaughn is the, uh, the big concern for the offense. Of course, you lose Adrian Martinez, who was a very effective rusher and still had a few uh, really good passing outings as well. Um, at quarterback, he's on to the NFL. Felix Ndike Uzama, first-round pick to the Chiefs, so we'll still be seeing plenty of him this year. He's probably going to get a, plenty of playing time this year as well as a first-round pick. So uh, we'll, we'll still see him, although it'll be in a different uh, jersey now. Julius Brents, uh, he's off the NFL as well, as is Echo Boydo. Losing those two really talented corners, uh, that is a big deal uh, defensively. And the two starting corners, both yeah. are really talented in their own ways. Yeah, uh, losing two NFL cornerbacks... That's hard to replace uh, in any regard, although we are lucky to have corners with experience on the roster, at least. Um, Josh Hayes to the NFL as well. He was a nice plug-and-play safety for a year, continuing that, I guess, Chris Kleiman tradition of bringing in... Random safeties yeah. and turning them into draft picks. Yep, exactly that. And uh, I guess, Seigel, I hope you're mm-hmm. ready. Yep. Uh, Eli Huggins, um, nose tackle, very underrated player last year as most of those cycles tend to be yeah they just don't get the stats yeah and uh um he uh was heading to the nfl until he uh um sustained an injury in his uh pro day and uh so he'll be another um literally a huge uh void to fill yeah and then you lose both malik Knowles and cade warner at receiver um, both of those guys um had career years last season and their final collegiate seasons so yeah we're going to, have to find guys to step up at receiver one of the biggest question marks on the team 
this year. So there, there are some big losses for this K-State team. Yeah. But, you know, just before we sort of talk about how we think we're going to sort of fill those losses, let's take a look at the, the schedule before we go into uh, probably the depth chart and then we can talk about superlatives. Well, we won't spend as long in the depth chart as we did the last year. So that was an hour and 30 yeah. minutes. But this year's schedule is Southeast Missouri State at home for the opener. Then a home game against Troy, who were the Sunbelt champions last year, as well as a bowl game champion. Then going to Columbia, Missouri to face the Missouri Tigers. A home game against the University of Central Florida, or UCF, in case any UCF fans are listening. Uh, at Oklahoma State, down in Stillwater. At Texas Tech, down in Lubbock. A home game up against TCU. A home game up against Houston. At Texas, down in Austin. Versus Baylor at home, at KU and Lawrence, and then finally ending the season with a home game up against Iowa State in Manhattan for the famous Farmageddon matchup. So we'll, we'll sort of talk about, well, I guess we can sort of talk about the schedule itself. You get the, the two, two big picks here, or the two things that people will notice from the new Big 12 is UCF and Houston. And then the other games that really stick out to me as being particularly difficult, of course, you know, you have at Texas Tech and then at Texas. Those are the two games that really are starting to worry me. Well, I, I say starting as if they there was a time and place where they didn't. But I, those are two really, really solid squads that I, I think could be a bit of a headache to deal with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Texas is right now the odds-on favorite to win the Big 12. Talent-wise, they have the most talented uh, roster uh, in the entire conference. Like always with Texas, it's going to come down to can they gel and will the coaching be there yeah, to take not, that talent? Can they not Texas themselves? Yeah, pretty much. And uh, that's a huge TBD. And Texas Tech, they're a very similar position uh, as K-State was last year. Uh, in fact, nearly identical to the point where they've been kind of a donned the dark horse so much that they're no longer a dark horse yeah that they're they're just a contender for the big 12 especially considering they were picked fourth so uh, texas tech in lubbock that's going to be a really tough matchup with a really fast texas tech team uh so a, a lot to keep our eyes on there but a lot of fun home matchups as well yeah so now we can sort of talk about the the depth chart here sort of Go through this. We can alternate by position here, but obviously we'll, we'll give our thoughts on, on each one. We'll start with the man under center and the most important position, that's quarterback. Will Howard is undisputedly the QB1 for this year. I don't feel like there's much really to dispute there. Will Howard displayed a lot of consistency towards the back end of last season after two seasons where the fan base were, was about ready to kill him, except for you and I. Because we are gargantuan brain individuals. As a collection of dogs <laughs> decide to fight outside. Uh, you probably can't hear that. But, you know, it, it was a really big breakout season for Will Howard after stepping in during that TCU game. And just everything that you're hearing around the program, yeah, Will has is, Will is not only figured it out, he's getting confident in the fact that he's figured it out, which I think is huge. Yeah, I mean, you and I were always on the boat of with Will Howard. It was mostly a mental thing as well as uh, there were a few mechanical things that needed to get fixed. The mechanical things were easy. The mental things were not. But he figured out both of them. 
And uh, now that he's really getting confident like that, and even though he spent the last two off-seasons taking first-team reps, now he's not just taking first-team reps. He's the undisputed, unchallenged starter. Mm-hmm. Or I guess I shouldn't say unchallenged, but he's going to start. Yeah. And uh, that that's going to be huge, getting a full season like that, a full off-season like that uh, through spring and summer. And uh, also for him helping to... Um, digest even more of the playbook uh, get comfortable with uh, wrinkles that are being added uh, so it's a big year for, for Will and uh, maybe one more after this, I guess it depends on how good he plays this year um, how badly he wants to play a year with his brother it just kind of depends but yeah. it's uh, looking good under center yeah then QB two is probably Jake Rubley, and the if it if anything long term happens, Avery Johnson's probably QB three, Adrian Lara four, and then Jacob Knuth five. Um, I don't feel like there's much really that needs to be said there. Uh, Jake Rubley, four star coming out of high school, should be a solid backup. Still probably figuring things out in terms of you know uh, adjusting to the college game. Avery Johnson, true freshman, all the potential in the world. Adrian Lara has a nuclear weapon for an arm, and then Jacob Knuth is a, another Power 5 transfer who decided to uh, join the team as a walk-on. Yeah, for me, the backup situation, there should probably be an or next to all of them. Yeah. Because I think Rubley is probably the first guy off the bench, but I think that the staff is probably pretty comfortable with any of Jake Avery or Adrian Lara right now. And... Uh, we could see any of those guys. Like, if we're up on, like, SEMO by, like, 60, like, we might see um, all four uh, scholarship quarterbacks. Um, so it's something to at least keep your eye on. But uh, there, there's a ton of talent in this quarterback room. Maybe the most talented quarterback room K-State has ever had. Yeah. But you have uh, running backs next. Yeah. And this is where we do get a split starter. Uh, we have Treshawn Ward or DJ Giddens at running back. I think that's like a 99% possibility. I only say 1% just to account for like any antics, I yeah, guess. Sh- if any shaboingery occurs. That, that's the only thing that can stop this from happening. But Treshawn Ward transferring in from Florida State. He is preseason newcomer of the year. We know that preseason awards don't matter a ton. But he's still... Uh, Coming off of a fairly successful stint at a Florida State, he's probably gunning to go pro uh, after this season as well. And then, of course, last year we saw flashes of DJ Giddens and at times full demonstrations of his potential. Yeah. A lot of people are worried about this room dropping off, but I, th- I think it's just going to be replacing Deuce Vaughn in increments. Uh, with Treshawn doing some of the things Deuce could do, DJ taking some of those carries, and then maybe even spreading out further than that. Yeah. I The reason I say or, the reason why I'd, I'd be insistent on the or being there is because Kleiman's always been, when, when he does not have a literal generational player, he's always been, even back at North Dakota State, he's been a running back by committee guy. And I think that DJ and Ward are both players that could really benefit from that system. To where they are kind of that 1A and 1B. Yeah, I I, th- I think that's almost certainly what we see from K-State this year. Is we're going to see um, a lot of Treshawn Ward and a lot of DJ Giddens. Sometimes both 
uh, will be on the field uh, simultaneously, I'd imagine. I'd be shocked if we don't see that this year um, because they both have such uh, drastically different skill sets. Um, but we may also see some of the backups as well. So uh, our number one backup right now is uh, Joe Jackson. Uh, he's a true freshman out of South Carolina. If you listen to the recruiting episode. Florida. Florida? Oh, he is from Florida. He is from Florida. Out of Florida. Uh, Joe Jackson, if you listen to the recruiting special uh, that we did where we ranked the recruits, we're both really big Joe Jackson fans, Ace especially. Yeah. And uh, he will probably get at least a few snaps here and there, depending on how quickly he develops. But he's got a ton of talent, and he's probably good enough to see the field this year. And then you move on to Anthony Frias behind him, who's seen a bit of time in Jordan Shippers as well, who uh, had a touchdown against Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. And got credited to Kobe Savage. It did. Well, it, it got credited to him, but it was Kobe's Kobe picture. Savage. Yeah, <laughs> which is funny. Yeah, but... Uh, it's a fairly solid depth chart uh, running back top to bottom as well. I mean, you've got four guys that have at least taken some snaps and then a really talented uh, true freshman with Joe Jackson. Yeah. I'll take uh, fullbacks, tight ends. The only fullback, the only true fullback on the roster is Christian Moore. Uh, and even they, they've outright removed fullback from the roster page. Christian Moore is listed as a tight end. Um, but tight end's another really simple one for tight end one. It's Ben Sinnott. Like, I, I don't... Just Ben Sinnott has turned into a really complete tight end who can do just about everything. Tight end two, I think, is really a bit more interesting because it's probably Will Swanson or Garrett Oakley. I think it just depends on the situation. Will Swanson probably comes in as a more traditional blocking tight end. Garrett Oakley comes in maybe as more of a wing guy who is there more as a, a pass-catching option. Then I have tight end three being Braden Lofton, just sort of uh, in in the exceedingly rare case that we may be running a three tight end set. I think he, you know, I, I think he's capable of getting, you know, four or five snaps a game, but I, I think he still needs a little bit more time to sort of marinate in the system. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And even there's some very talented tight ends uh, coming in this year as a true freshman um, probably not going to see them this year, pending injuries. Um, would love to see Metzger or Anciao, uh, but I just don't think that's going to happen. But um, love Ben Sinnott. Uh, you and I were both really big fans of Garrett Oakley last year for last year's recruiting um, episode where we ranked the class. We both thought Garrett Oakley was kind of a diamond in the rough, and there's been some buzz about him this offseason, so I'm really hopeful that we get to see some Garrett Oakley this year. Um, at least a couple of times, because I think he could really make an impact. Yep. Which means that you have receiver, and the way that I'd probably do it is I'd just read the one line for each position and then sort of talk about the one line as a whole and then go through yeah. from there. So That's what I'd do. I'm, I'm not you, though. I'm going to go by position. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go to X receiver first, and uh, starting number one X receiver is obviously Keegan Johnson. Transferring in from Iowa, he's a young guy. He'll be a redshirt sophomore. Uh, he produced a lot as a true freshman at Iowa and then was injured most of his, uh, what would have been sophomore year, yeah. and ends up transferring here. I think he's a clear uh, front runner to take um, the number one receiver spot. Uh, a lot of our offensive success uh, will probably rely on how good Keegan Johnson is. And I think that uh, he... Uh, 
it, it's it's very important for him to have a good season for the rest of the receivers to be good. And I think that uh, if he can have a Malik Knowles-ish season from last year where he has about 800 yards, I believe is where Malik was, then I think that Phillip Brooks can give us, similar to what he's given us the last few years, RJ Garcia, Jaden Jackson, etc. can kind of combine for the rest. Number two X receiver, I have Jaden Jackson, um, or I should say we do. Um, didn't see a lot of him last year as an Ole Miss transfer other than the very, 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 very end of the season, like on the last garbage time drive against Alabama. He had a couple catches. Um, but uh, I think he's got a lot of talent. It's just, will he be able to get on the field and stay on the field? Uh, and that's the big question mark there. And then the third X receiver, Trey Spivey, true freshman out of Arizona, immensely talented, one of our favorite recruits from this cycle. Um, someone that, in a perfect world, does get on the field immediately. Um, we know that we don't rotate a ton at wide receiver, but would love to see some Trey Spivey this year because I, I, I do think that there's there's a way for him to make an impact this year. Yeah. So hopefully we can see that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I don't really have any much to add there other than Jaden Jackson probably has a bit more. He can probably play just about anywhere. I, he's kind of like a, another receiver we'll talk about in a minute. But I I, I think Jaden Jackson probably emerges as the second true X receiver, which is your number one receiver, like your more alpha alpha guy. Um, I will say that uh, the slot receiver depth chart, uh, there is a slight change with the third position. And I think you can guess who it would, who it would be because it's a, it's a true freshman. We sort of projected, but you can, you can still talk about the slot as well. Yeah. So moving on to slot, uh, starting is Phillip Brooks. Phillip Brooks, a very long-tenured uh, Wildcat at this point. He's been around since uh, I was a freshman at K-State in 2018 when Bill Snyder was still the coach. He was uh, doing a little punt returning for a few games uh, there for K-State all the way back uh, in the olden days at this point. <laughs> and uh, so Phillip Brooks still, if he can be continue to be that just consistent safety blanket, that's all we need him to do. And if he can provide that, then I think Will Howard's going to be a happy camper with Phillip Brooks in the slot. Uh, the occasional big play, but most of the time, we just need him working in the intermediate to just find soft spots and zones and uh, just be shifty and move the ball forward. Yeah. We don't need a ton from him, but he's been very consistent at doing what he's good at as of late. Uh, behind him, we have Seth Porter. Uh, he's another guy, I think, that's been around since the Bill Snyder days, maybe, if he's a super senior. Uh, Seth Porter, he has been a special teams demon uh, the last few years for K-State, along with his brother Shane. So hopefully he can continue that, and he'll also probably get a few slot wide receiver snaps here and there. Uh, big Seth Porter fan. And then last, we, of course, we were having a little bit of discussion about this. You, you just heard us talking about how there's a bit of a change yeah. here at the bottom. The original person listed is Sterling Lockett, but we think that there's room for Jace Brown to uh, potentially slide in there. So maybe that's kind of an or situation. I think it's probably an or situation. Then again, if we're down to like third slot option and we're not just putting RJ there, I feel something may have gone wrong. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I, I think you're probably right there, but what do you have to add about the slot receivers? Nothing really. It's just a, a room of a really reliable uh, receiver in Phillip Brooks. Seth Porter, who's been a special teams demon, who's made a few catches in his career. Then uh, Sterling Lockett, obviously, is a Lockett. He's from the Lockett lineage, if you would. Um, and then Jace Brown, who probably coming out was the most refined of all of the four true freshman receivers. Uh, note how I said refined, not best. That honor belongs to Trace Bybee because Trace Bybee is different. But Jace Brown, you know, he has the opportunity to be to prove his reliability sort of immediately. But that's sort of the slot receivers. Now, Z receiver is sort of your traditional wide receiver too and also kind of the most... Uh, I think it's the most interesting receiver position. So, yeah. Number one here, we've got RJ Garcia. Um, RJ, we were hoping that he was going to make a larger impact last year, but we just didn't really rotate a receiver for much, so we didn't see a ton of him. Of course, he had that huge catch in the Big 12 championship that everybody remembers. Um, but if he can take the next step that we need, then he's absolutely going to have a big season at Z. And then uh, behind him are two uh, former walk-ons that have uh, um, shown out at least a little bit. That's Xavier Lloyd and Erwin Nash, uh, former walk-ons, or current walk-ons, at least for Nash. Xavier Lloyd might be one of the walk-on NIL scholarships. Yeah, he, he has that NIL scholarship. Yep, so both of those guys uh, working behind him. We saw a little Xavier Lloyd last year in the Texas game. When uh, Malik Knowles and Cade Warner both got hurt, uh, Lloyd got on the field for that final drive. Uh, and it's telling that they that he got on the field last year as a walk-on, uh, which says that he is fairly talented. And Erwin Nash, I do vaguely remember us watching at least a clip or two from him, uh, but we didn't go too in-depth on him because he was a walk-on. But I do remember being at least semi-impressed that we got a guy like that to walk on instead of maybe being a FCS scholarship fringe guy. So I just took a project, hope it pans out, and it's on the upside right now, it seems, for Erwin Nash. Yeah, I, I would say that tentatively watch Erwin Nash because he could turn into something just based off of the potential that he has. Then again, it is it is a walk-on, so, you know, you kind of take that with a grain of salt but I don't know Erwin Nash I feel like could turn into to something really solid RJ Garcia to me is the undoubted and undisputed number one Z receiver here which means that he's probably the true wide receiver too probably splitting that role with Phillip Brooks but RJ like uh, his most of his game is still based off of refinement which is hilarious because that one jumping catch that he made in the Big 12 championship game is not what you think of when you think of refinement receiver. But that's really what his game has mostly been predicated off of. So I'm really excited for him to sort of get that opportunity, especially working with a, a new receivers coach in Matthew Middleton, to sort of hone in that skill set. And Xavier Lloyd, you know, he got snaps last year. Sort of just that... He, I, I project him to be like reliable, maybe get 10 catches on the year, somewhere in there. Yeah, I, I think a lot of that might come down to just how many blowouts we have yeah. and uh, how many opportunities he has to get truly extended playing time and also how much rotation we do. Yep. 
So that means I get to talk about the offensive line before we move into defense. And I'm just going to go through the one line here. Left tackles, KT Leviston. Left guards, Cooper Beebe. Center is Hayden Gillum. Right guard is Taylor Poitier. And then right tackle is Christian Duffy. There's not much to say there. KT Leviston has been a consistent left tackle. Well, he was last year. The 2020 experiment was awful. But then again, all of 2020 was awful. Uh, Cooper Beebe, probably the best guard in the country. I don't feel like I'm going to get much pushback there, especially because it's the K-State pod. Um, Hayden Gillum, starting center. We've been critical of Gillum in the past uh, in the same way that we were critical of Noah Johnson before him. But just because we're critical of him doesn't mean that we think he's bad. In fact, quite the opposite. I think he's solid. He's all right at center. Um, Right guard, Taylor Poitier, hopefully, hopefully, he finally gets an opportunity to actually stay healthy because we've been hearing for two or three years that he had, he's an NFL guy, but then he just gets hurt. So uh, let's just hope he stays healthy this year. And then Christian Duffy, who has been the model of consistency at right tackle, even if he is going to open the season hurt, allegedly. Um, yeah, uh, that that's sort of that, that one line. And there's not much for me to really say there because it's the same one line as last year. Yeah, I, I can't add too much either. Um, it gets more interesting at the lower lines, I think. Absolutely. The two-line, we'll, we'll go through individually here, is uh, left tackle John Pastore, who I think he was not he was one of the highest rated, in for me at least, in the rankings for the recruiting class that he was in. Because I thought last he year. was... Yeah, uh, yeah, last year, technically. Um just because he was a technical monster. And I, I really think that if it came down to it, he could immediately contribute at left tackle as a redshirt freshman, which is insane. Um, Sam Shields or Sam Hecht at left guard. Both of them are fine depth pieces. Sam Hecht, I believe, is a former walk-on. Um, both of those are solid depth pieces to have at guard. Uh, if Cooper Beebe goes down, which don't do that at all, actually... Uh, I had Hadley Panzer both at second spot for center and right guard. Obviously, if it comes down to it, Drake Beckwith is probably the third right guard, though I think it's more likely that Hecht moves over to right guard. And then right tackle, I have Andrew Langang as right tackle too because uh, I don't think I'm going to get anyone in trouble by saying this because I'm not going to say who it is. Um, I've heard from someone who would have the knowledge that Andrew Langang is basically the truth as a tackle. In fact, the exact words of the person was, you know how good Cooper Beebe was at left tackle he was playing there? Yeah, Andrew Langang is that now. And I sort of looked at the person like, are you insane? He looked at me and said, no, 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 I'm telling you the truth. So yes, I do believe in Andrew Langang a lot. (laughs) Yeah, I think the staff does as well. It's telling that um, he was able to get some special packages uh like in the Baylor game where they brought him in just uh, as an additional lineman that, that says a lot about the faith that the staff has in Lane Gang and uh I do have a few um places where I think I'd shift people around in the depth chart but I'd have the same people on it I think yeah uh, I'd probably put Beckwith at tackle because I think that's where the staff sees Beckwith he's got really long arms I think that's his natural position he was a high school left tackle and it was in Texas, so he actually 
could translate to the college level as opposed to being a left tackle at any other level. Uh, John Pastore, um, he's pretty versatile. I wouldn't hate seeing him a tackle at all. I think he probably ends up on the interior, but I wouldn't hate him on the outside either because I think he's versatile enough and he's got the frame to be an outside guy. And uh, Carver Willis, I think, might be maybe the true backup tackle. I think Langang might just be first off the bench uh, in all honesty, for whatever position other than maybe center, I, I truly think Wayne Gang is just your sixth man at left guard, left tackle, right think, guard, right tackle. I think Wayne Gang could play center. I think he could too. <laughs> I, I truly think he could play anywhere, but they, they need someone else to do something at some point. <laughs> he can't play all five positions. But Wayne Gang is going to, he's going to be a problem. Yeah. So that's the, uh, the offense, and of course, kicker. I think Simon McLean is going to be field goal, Chris Tennant's going to kick off, and then the punter is Jack Bloomer. Kickers are people too, but we're not going to spend a lot of time there. <laughs> so now we can move on to the defensive side of the ball, and let's sort of work from the front up. So we just got finished talking about offensive linemen, so Connor, you get to talk about the defensive line. Yep, I'll start in the middle here, uh, nose tackle. Um, Uso Sayamalo has, I think, really taken the job and run with it. I think he was who we thought was going to be the starter, but a lot of it was predicated on him taking a jump in conditioning. And the coaches have been absolutely raving about Uso Sayamalo the last month or so. Uh, media days, there was a lot of positive talk about Uso. And uh, there's been talk about him uh, cutting some weight as well and adding muscle. He's been described as like unusually strong and stuff like that i mean he's insanely fast we yeah. know that yeah 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 you can watch this huddle tape for high school and just see how quick he is <laughs> for his size he's an unbelievable athlete at nose and if you can we just need a wrecking ball destructive individual <laughs> at nose i think uso can fill that really well then your backups you've got javon banks and damian Leo. Um, we have them listed Banks, then Ilolio. I think that could be an either-or. I imagine they're both going to get similar play because, to me, Banks is probably going to be pretty much Dehens, where he's on the field to be an athletic, fast nose tackle, a bit of a lighter one that you can rely on to maybe do a little bit more pass rushing at times and be a little bit more agile. And uh, if he can fill the Dehens role, then I'm completely happy with Javon Banks as a nose tackle. Yeah. And then Damian Ilolio, of course, uh, has become at least mildly known uh, throughout the fan base for being part of the stand at the goal line against TCU, uh, filling that nose position. That was his first snap at the game when he did that. So he, he grew up pretty quick. Um, but as a Manhattan product, I imagine we'll be seeing some of him next year. Uh, he's got a lot of talent. What do you think it knows? There's not much really to say. The only thing that I would say is Javon Banks really could play. I think that he could be a blend between Jalen Pickle and Dehens, to where he's he can play just about anywhere from nose to three tech. And I think he's probably going to be used a lot on passing downs, which is kind of what Dehens's role was. Uh, Eli's role, Eli Huggins's role last year was more traditional first and second down uh, nose tackle. Dehens came in a lot on third down, though there was some overlap with the skill set. Uh, Uso might just be another one of those Polynesian monsters that you that you see. Like Every conference has at least like three of them, 
and most of them are nose tackles. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then Damon Ilalia or Damian Ilalia, you know, that's that's another one where I I think that he gets some snaps mostly just to give the other two guys a breather. But I, I like the nose tackle room top to bottom. Yeah. There's not a ton of guys in the room, but granted it's just one position. and uh, But there is a lot of talent potential in that room. So I think there's a lot to like about nose as long as guys stay healthy. Yeah. Knock on wood. And then um, we'll move to defensive ends now. Uh, slash edge, kind of, mainly defensive ends. 3-3-5 three, three, is weird, man. Yeah. Uh, I'll go with the one line here. Uh, number one... Khalid Duke and then Nate Matlick. Uh, Khalid Duke moving back down from where he was a Sam linebacker last year. I think he filled the Sam role admirably, but we don't need him there anymore. And I think he's going to be much more useful and comfortable at his uh, natural position, uh, which is that defensive end slash pass rusher edge role. And I I think he could truly be a monster there. And the same goes for Matlick, uh, as long as he can stay healthy this year, knock on wood. Because... If he plays a full, healthy season, he could be a really, really great compliment there to Khalid Duke. Yeah. I mean, Khalid Duke is, to me, he's just the, the power rusher. He was clearly out of position at Sam. Like, he, he performed admirably, but that doesn't mean he was great at it. You could tell that he wasn't... It wasn't his natural position, so it's awesome to see him back at the end. Uh, Nate Matlick, I've actually, I've actually heard some some rumblings about people discussing whether this is an or situation with the, the second D end that's listed next to him or whether or not Nate Matlick is below the next guy. Um, I think Matlick, the moment he's healthy, I think that he's arguably the best technical pass rusher on the team. Um, arguably, <laughs> honestly, probably fighting for that role with a true freshman <laughs> who, you know, may or may not have just lost a lot of weight due to something he couldn't control, which may or may not have slid him down the depth chart a lot. Yeah, yeah. So getting to that second line, uh, um, behind Cooley Duke, we have a, an or, Donovan Ryman or Cody Stuffelbean. You yeah, remember Donovan Ryman? <laughs> yeah, I do. His film was really good out of high school. So uh, here's hoping you can contribute some this year. Um I, I really liked Donovan Ryan out of high school. He's still a young guy. I think he's only a redshirt freshman. He's a redshirt freshman. He was in the same class as Pastore. Yeah, so he could uh, he was a late add. Hopefully he can step up and play some snaps for us this year. Stuff will be in we saw last year. Um, I wish that he would like have some gear for like his arms. Like he doesn't wear like any elbow pads or wristbands or even gloves. like gloves. And so he just looks like an NCAA creative player that you like just forgot you just forgot to edit. So for his sake, I hope he adds some. But I uh, Cody Stuffelbean was for a backup defensive end. He was not noticeable, which was probably good as a backup. Which is basically saying that he was holding his own and he wasn't screwing up. Which if you're backup and you haven't been playing much, that's good. So hopefully he can start to take some steps this year and really start to make an impact. And on the other side, we have the guy that you were talking about with Brendan Mott, which I'll let you talk about him a bit. Yeah, Brendan Mott actually was, I think he was second on the team in sacks last year. He actually had more sacks than a first-round pick in Will McDonald. <laughs> he had more sacks than that. But the main reason, and, and this isn't this, this isn't meant to be disrespectful to Brendan Mott, because Brendan Mott is genuinely a, a really solid defensive end. 
I just think Nate Matlick is a touch better. I think he's more technically sound. I think he's a bit more athletic. But, you know, they're, Brendan Mott's a really solid defensive end. In fact, if I... It, the or situation, I could see being Matlick passing and then Mott, Mott more running or, like, more obvious running close. Short yardage stuff. But I, I think both of them probably do... Matlick, I think, gets more snaps, but I don't think it's, like insane i don't think it's like a difference of 50 or anything like that yeah i i think that you're right on that and brendan mott was really good last year stepping up when nate matlick uh was not really able to play a ton of snaps for most of the year uh just due to injury yeah so brendan mott uh, he'll have to fight uh for his snaps but i do think that he's still going to get a few snaps and then we move to the uh final line of defensive end uh, which is made up entirely of true freshmen uh, at defensive end, uh, which all of whom we were fairly high on uh, in the recruiting class, or mostly. But behind Khalid Duke, we have uh, Chidi Obiezor or Ryan Davis. And uh, we loved it's Ryan not Davis. Or anymore. Yeah, it probably isn't. We loved Ryan Davis out of the box, uh, but he arrived at. Uh, 221. Uh, yeah, yeah, he arrived at 221 down from, I think, 240 to 250. Yeah. Uh, so he's going to have to work to put weight back on uh, at this point. I don't think we're going to see him this year anymore, which is really a shame. Because uh, my comp for him was literally just Nate Matlick the minute he arrived. Yeah, I love, we were both huge Ryan Davis fans. Uh, and then Chidi Obiezor, who was someone that when we were evaluating recruits, we kind of weren't entirely sure what to make of. I got slowly more sold on him as time went on, I think, as did Ace. Because uh, the more you watch his highlights, the more you, at minimum, could not deny that he was just a freak athlete yeah. in every measurable way. And he got to campus early, so he was a bit ahead in, in that way. He arrived for spring ball. So there's a shot we see some OBAs or this year. And then um, at the other defensive end spot behind Matlick and Mott, we have true freshman Jordan Allen. Uh, four-star out of the Kansas City area, big recruiting win over some power programs like Oklahoma and Tennessee and USC. Uh, he's super athletic, uh, as evidenced by his uh, huddle tape, really high motor player. There's a non-zero chance that we see him this year. So what do yeah. you have to say about these guys? Kitty, I, I had the comp of Jalen Pickle, which, you know, just a big defensive end, which is like a truly – what you recruit for for a three three five, Ryan Davis before he lost all the weight was literally just like junior year Nate Matlick to me, <laughs> uh, and then Jordan Allen is just an athletic monster with the most ridiculous motor on the team, and I think that it's the motor and athleticism that would get him onto the field more than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Now we can move into the linebacking room, which I think is really interesting because the one line for the linebacking room is ridiculous. But then you have a bunch of players that will probably play in like two or three positions. So for I'm just going to go through the one line. At Sam Linebacker, I have Des Purnell or Jake Clifton. Honestly, leaning towards Des Purnell. Des Purnell is probably going to be the announced starter. And then the middle linebacker and will linebacker, those aren't disputed. It's Daniel Green and Austin Moore, respectively. Daniel Green came back for his, I think it's super, super senior season. <laughs> Yeah, he's been around for a while. Uh, he was a part of the 2017 recruiting class. Yep. 
Uh, last guy from that class, he gray-shirted. Or he spent a year getting eligible, and then I think he might have gray-shirted after that, and then red-shirted. <laughs> he, wow, he, he had a long journey to college football, and somehow he is still here, and I'm so happy he stuck around. Yeah. My, Daniel Green's the communicator and the big hitter. Uh, Austin Moore had a really, really big come-on season last year where he got the nickname The Machine because of how ridiculous he was at the beginning of the year. Did kind of fall off towards the back end of the year, but no one can take away how special that first part of the season was for him. Uh, Des Purnell or Jake Clifton, I think, is the most interesting one here because Des Purnell has been in the system longer, but I just don't see a situation where you can really deny Jake Clifton snaps anywhere. Anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere. You could put Jake Clifton in any of these positions. And I'd say, yeah. yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, he was a true freshman last year. He got snaps in the very first game yeah. of the year. Granted, some of that was necessity, but still he held his own, and he played a considerable amount last year for a true freshman. That was another guy that you and I absolutely loved the film on, and uh, we're, we were really big fans. And uh, so we'd have to see... Uh, where where he goes in the future, but I really like Jake Clifton as it stands. He definitely deserves to be on the one line, but Des Purnell is super talented as well. He was kind of an unexpected guy. He was someone, even as a recruit, completely flew under the radar. He was kind of a late safety ad, wasn't super highly rated, and we move him to Sam, and he's done quite well there. Uh, he, he's a very athletic in space type of linebacker, given his safety background, but there's a lot to like about Des Purnell, and then also Jake Clifton. Yeah. Uh, the two-line, there's a lot of ors here. Um, Toby O makes the or line for the two-line at both Will and Sam. Uh, the other part of the or line is Rex Van Wy at Sam. Middle linebacker is Terry Kirksey or Jake Clifton. Like, again, the one line is ridiculous. And just the fact that we have so many players that can play in so many different positions, it's, it, it's insane. Because Toby, especially, Toby was our number one recruit for last year's recruiting class. Um, I think Jake Clifton, for me, was like four or something like that because I was really high in Pastore. But Toby just has the athleticism to do anything he wants on the football field. Yeah, he is a phenomenal athlete. We said it last year. We reported his, like, 100-meter times last year uh, compared to, like, how big he is. He ran, like, a 10-8 and is, like, 6'2", 2'10", 2'20". And... uh, he is a fantastic athlete. He got a lot of buzz um, in the media rounds uh, earlier this month. Uh, there's been some buzz about him getting on the field in some special packages this year just because of how athletic he is. I think that's borderline necessary because he has really long arms, a really high motor, and he's learning a lot. And I, I think that we really need to get him on the field. But I like Rex Van Y too because he is kind of that RPO stopper at a sandbacker. He's that guy that you want covering the slant on the RPO to just fill the void. He's 6'5 with crazy wingspan, and you, you need him there to stop that uh, quick pass off the RPO. Um, but then, Mike, you've got to kind of feel for Terry Kirksey, who almost certainly did not expect Daniel Green to be returning uh, after he committed from junior college, but Terry Kirksey... He's another really talented linebacker. This is We went from last year being very worried about this linebacker room depth-wise to now there's almost too many guys in yeah. the room to play. And Jake Clifton, 
Mike again. He's just so, so good. And Toby at will. Uh, I There's not much to complain about here, really. Uh, if we go based off what Chris Kleiman has said, we should add in the name Austin Romaine. Because yeah. that came out of absolutely nowhere. Which, like, hey, hand up. We did not consider that at all. No. Um, we were not super high on him. There can't be two Jacob Parishes in this class. I just, it just can't happen. It was a big class, so there, there is that. <laughs> but you know, you can't get them all. And, but somebody had to be low on the list. Yeah, true, true. But it's a really, really impressive linebacker room this year. Yeah. All right. Uh, honestly, cornerback room is a mess. So like, I don't even think there's a point in going for one line or two line. No. Just I would just discuss the corners on the whole. Because the cornerback room is an absolute mess. And it's not because anyone's bad. It's because there's too many good options that mm. just haven't played much. Yeah, we have a lot of guys who are unproven, but have a lot of talent on paper. Uh, with the exception of a few people, like Jacob Parrish. Like, we know Jacob Parrish is a good corner. He was a true freshman last year and was fantastic. As a true freshman, blew everybody's expectations out of the water, especially, especially ours. Especially ours. <laughs> and uh, Will Lee um, was offered by Alabama and uh, decided to come to K State instead. So there's got to be at least some talent there. Jordan Wright was on the roster last year, didn't see much of him. Keenan Garber was huge um, last year, switching to defensive back and then playing like 30 snaps like in the big 12 championship yeah, two, yeah like two and a half weeks after he switched positions and holding his own and really doing quite well shout out keenan garber for making a position change as a <laughs> senior what a guy then um justice james formerly known as a uh, justice clemens that's another person we didn't see last year because he had back surgery and that was somebody that we thought could potentially make an impact tyler neelam um out of southeast missouri um, another long corner that there's a lot to like about him. And he's got some experience playing higher-level competition. And if he can figure it out, he's going to be another really solid guy that hopefully could become a dude in man coverage. Nigel Thomas has been getting a lot of buzz in spring ball so far. Um, as a true freshman, Darrell Jones is a freaky athlete who still has not made it onto the field. I want him to do something because he's he's got incredible speed incredible vertical leap and he's from southeast kansas yeah and he yeah he's a semi hometown guy i guess for us and uh, close to hometown guy uh, there's not a lot of sek people uh at k-state so darrell jones i'd love to see him as like a return man i don't know if it's gonna happen it's not gonna happen i, I wish it would though because <laughs> i really like darrell jones i want to see him at safety and that's yeah. never happening so yeah but I just read off eight different names, talked about them briefly. It would not shock me if any of these people saw at least uh, meaningful snaps this season. Yeah, I, I there's there's almost like no one line here. I, I mean, like arguably the one line is Will Lee, Jordan Wright, Jacob Parrish, or Keenan Garber. Any of those four, take your pick. <laughs> yeah, if I was forced to pick. A number one corner, I think I could comfortably say Jacob Parrish. I'd say Will Lee. See? <laughs> you see what the issue is? <laughs> you see the problem? Yeah, this is the issue that we have to work through. Um, but Jacob Parrish was awesome last year. If Will Lee figures it out immediately, then he's going to be a lockdown guy this year. 
Uh, but Jacob Parrish has the experience uh, ahead of Willie, at least. So I know those guys could be number one. I think it's Jacob Parrish. Ace thinks it's Willie, and I don't think those are uninformed options either. I thought somebody said Jordan Wright. Yeah, somebody's probably said Jordan Wright. Somebody's probably said Keenan Garber. I've yeah. seen people mention Keenan. All, all of those guys have gotten like talk as being starting corners. Yeah, there's a lot of talent in the corner room, but nobody has truly been able to show it on the field because a lot of these guys just haven't had this chance yet or weren't here. Like, other than Jacob Parrish, really, and kind of Keenan Garber, but... You know, that was kind of a unique situation, so I don't want to <laughs> count on just that. that unique is, I, I think that's fair. I think that's yeah. fair. So, the corner room is, in a lot of ways, a question mark, but not in the worst way possible. This isn't a, we don't know if we have anyone. This is, there's quite a few people that could be really good in this room. And we just need to figure out who's going to separate themselves. Yeah. And since that was kind of a cop-out, I'll let you take the safety lines. Yep. Safety is... a another room where I think the one and the two line you feel pretty good about. I'll go uh, one through three here. Uh, so starting uh, strong safety, Kobe Savage is back. Uh, he should be an all big 12 guy this year. Kobe Savage was awesome last year uh, out of absolutely nowhere as a Juco guy. I hope that he's able to continue that level of play. He was a second teamer even after his injury. Yeah. And he would have been first team, I think, if he, oh, no doubt. yeah, if he if he had uh, stayed healthy. Um, so Kobe Savage, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does this year. I think he's probably going to be playing with his hair on fire yet again. I was going to say say it like it was the first time, but he did that last no, year yeah, already. That, that he's always so. done that. Kobe's just always been Kobe. Yeah. So I hope that we see a lot of Kobe Savage this year. VJ Payne, uh, we have a free safety. He was described as uh, what was it a pterodactyl? He's pterodactyl, yeah. Yeah, because I mean he's a six foot three uh, safety with incredible speed, uh, really good size. Uh, he's the sort of guy that you look at and at least on paper think this is an NFL guy very easily. Prototypical size, prototypical athleticism. He just needs to turn that into on the field play, and he's only a true sophomore. Last year as a true freshman, he stepped up in a huge way. There's very little bad that you can say about him. And then uh, you have uh, Marquis Seigel at Jack, which I'm, at this point, you should just bet the house on random transfers that Kleiman finds uh, in the defensive backfield, especially if they're from North Dakota State at some point. Uh, Seigel was mainly a corner there. He's probably going to be a safety here. That's what Josh Hayes did. He was a yeah. corner turned into yeah. a safety. Exactly exactly right. Exact same career arc. A little different, I guess, but very similar. But there's a lot to like about uh, uh, Siegel. I, I I think he could have a sneaky big year, maybe similar to kind of how Kobe, Sna- Kobe Savage snuck up on everyone last year. And uh, maybe not to the same degree, just because there's so many mouths to feed in that yeah. safety room now. But... The, that one line is has the potential to be really, really good. Yeah, there's also a part of there's also a part of me that's disputing the the free safety one line, was to putting it in or. But then again, that's a lot of projection. But Kobe Savage is the undisputed leader in the secondary, probably the leader of the defense, right behind Daniel Green, uh, the captain of the defense. Some might say, but just Kobe Savage, he's a do it all safety, and. Do-it-all safeties are pretty rare in a three-safety system. 
normally you have safeties who are kind of good at everything, and that's just good enough. Kobe Savage is legitimately great at everything. VJ Payne at free safety. It makes sense, given his length, athleticism. I, I do think that it will be a slight adjustment period if he's ever asked to play true center field, but that's fine. And Marky Seigel, it's basically, he's just going to end up being slot corner again, which, fine. That's what jack safeties are most of the time. Except for they're asked to do a bit more in the run, but... Yeah, I, I, I'm really high on the one line, and I'm arguably just as high on the two line, which is really strange, because yeah. the two line just lacks like that potential star power. But I'm really excited about everyone on it. Yeah, I'll go backwards this time, starting with Jack. I mean, Jack, we have a name that uh, most people probably won't even recognize. That's Colby McAllister. And you, you would be correct in not immediately assuming him as a safety because he came to K-State as a corner, yep. uh, but has moved to safety. And uh, he um, has supposedly been very impressive in that role. And uh, I, I was a big fan of his film out of uh, high school. And... Uh, but the corner room was pretty jam-packed at that time, and it still is. It still is. Like you, you have a better chance of finding a single snowball in Tucson, Arizona, in the middle of July, than breaking through this corner room. <laughs> yeah. So Colby McAllister, um, throwing him in that number two safety line. Uh, I I would love to see more uh, younger underclassmen get onto the field. Colby McAllister is a great guy to do that. He's a redshirt freshman um, and very talented. Um, free safety. This is a guy that Ace absolutely loves, and I really like him too. Uh, this is um, a ad, um, a JUCO ad that went completely under the radar, and uh, and that's Daniel Cobbs. Uh, Daniel Cobbs, a free safety, um, also from Tyler JUCO, yeah. which is where Kobe came from. Yeah, I'll just let you talk a little bit about Daniel Cobbs because I know how much you love him. All right, uh, he's he. If you look at his film and you compare it to Kobe Savage's film coming out of Tyler JUCO. There are so many similarities in that they're both just missiles. They're missiles at the safety position who have coverage upside and plus athleticism. I think Kobe Savage is a bit, was a bit more refined coming out of Tyler Juco, especially in terms of his pure coverage ability. But Daniel Cobbs is just... I, the moment he gets downhill, someone's going to die. Like, he's going to kill someone. And it's just... That sort of energy is so infectious, and, you know, sometimes it may even get in the way of, like, objective grading. I still think he's a really great player. I really do. But there's just a lot about his game that is so exciting, and just that sort of motor that he has. You could form an all-motor team with Kobe Savage, Daniel Cobbs, and Jordan Allen, and you may be able to get, like, 20 sacks in a season just based off of motor alone. Right. Daniel Cobbs should be great. I think he's going to be a routinely called upon guy uh, in the safety room because uh, the safeties rotate a considerable amount. I imagine he's probably going to end up being the first off the bench if probably. we're going to look look at it that way. And uh, there's a lot to like about him. Really, really great film. He just needs to take that step. Um, and then a strong safety on the two line. We have Jordan Perry. Um, was a guy who I actually had rated higher than B.J. Payne in my old recruiting rankings so did I. for last year. Yeah, we both did. And uh, Perry did not see the field last year. 
uh, on defense. And so now we're projecting him here on the two line. He had a lot of inherent talent, but I think some of it may have been uh, adjustment to talent level. Because uh, VJ Payne did play at a higher level in high school and also kind of a different position. Uh, but Jordan Perry, um, also out of Georgia, uh, same as VJ Payne in the same class. Uh, there's a lot to like about Jordan Perry. He's very similar prospects. I think they were identical size uh, on recruiting websites, 6'2", 180, if I remember correct. So um, Jordan Perry um, can fill out and kind of fill into that strong safety backup spot. That'd be really impressive and huge. Yeah. I really like Jordan Perry. I found I thought VJ and Jordan Perry were comparable players. Like it wasn't like I, I had one way above the other. It's not like I'm surprised that VJ was ended up playing as a freshman. Didn't surprise me at all. But yeah, I think they're really similar. And then the the three line for safety to me is it's really just one player, and there's someone else who has to who filled the other role. But three line is really just Nikendra Steiger who kind of just showed up on campus one day to be that third safety. Yeah, he kind of did just do that, and he started the first game, if I recall. Or did he play? Or did he just play a lot of snaps? He played a lot of snaps. I'm not yeah. sure if he started. Because we were missing Josh Hayes for that game, and maybe Cheatham? I think Cheatham played. Okay. I know we were missing at least Josh Hayes and maybe one other, because uh, we had a few defensive guys out in that first game. Uh, but Steiger was pretty solid, honestly, from what we saw last year. Um, didn't see much of him beyond that first game. I think that was to preserve his red shirt. Um, but, um, again, what we saw was promising. And I'd be comfortable with any of these like top seven guys playing, really. And then, of course, you throw in Max Marsh at the end there, who has played snaps as well. A former quarterback turned safety, um, six foot three, so he's got good size. And he's fairly athletic. Uh, it's just not his natural position. But it, I'm not going to panic if he's on the field at this point because he's fairly experienced and has been around the block. Yeah. Well, because he's, uh, he's going to be Ross Boss 2.0. I, we can only hope. <laughs> yeah, we can only hope. But that's the depth chart. Now we can sort of just quick rapid fire, you know, preseason awards slash things to watch. Uh, like I said, sort of rapid fire it. Um, we'll start with offensive and defensive breakouts. I have my offensive breakout. It's the same guy as last year, so... And also, we have neither of us have ever been correct on our offensive breakouts, with the exception of you last year with DJ Giddens. Uh, I'm going to go RJ Garcia on the offensive side of the ball and Uso Sayamalo on the defensive side of the ball. I think those are both great picks. I'm going out on a, on a very, very uh, dangerous limb offensively with uh, Trey Spivey, because that's relying on us rotating a lot at receiver, which is not something I should be relying on, but... Spivey's super talented, and he may find a way onto the field. Keenan Garber, a corner I have for breakout, uh, which I have picked him before, but on the other side of the ball, and that did not go so well, so I'm giving him another chance here to <laughs> unbreak out just on the other side of the ball. I, he, I mean, he did it in one game, so maybe he just continues. Maybe so. Uh, yeah, I, I'm confident in, in Keenan. All right. Next question. Does the offense and defense improve in the national rankings? Uh, offense was 37th in scoring, defense was 29th in scoring. I say the offense slightly improves, probably to the 30s, and then the defense slightly regresses, probably to mid to low or mid to high 30s, just because of the amount of talent that they're losing. I don't think it's going to be an insane regression. I think it's just going to be slight. I think the defense will improve a bit, 
not by a lot because I still am really comfortable with the guys we have on this team. Like when I say a bit, I mean maybe five spots at the most. And then uh, offensive, I honestly think that they take a pretty big jump in scoring. I think that they make their way uh, from 37 to pushing top 20, I think, in points per game. Because I think Colin Klein is really going to capitalize on year two in his system. And we're going to see some really unique and, uh, at times, genius play calls from him. I agree. I think that's a really good point. Uh, which true freshmen are likely to contribute? I only listed the one, and that's Joe Jackson. Just because, mm-hmm. if if you haven't, uh, go back and listen to the the recruiting special. First off, it was probably it's always our favorite episode to do every single year, and uh, you, you get to hear the story of how I converted Connor to uh, to the Church of Joe Jackson. <laughs> yeah, it didn't take long, but once you told me about Zenu, I was really interested in Joe Jackson. So, <laughs> but. <laughs> I, uh, um, I, I went a different direction. I said Trey Spivey again. I'm kind of doubling down here on Trey Spivey. This is probably going to backfire completely. Um, but I did list another guy, and that's uh, Chidi Obiezor. And I'm just really high on him because he put on a ton of weight in spring ball, and he's supposedly been kind of a standout guy. So I'm I'm just kind of hedging my bets there on uh, Chidi Obiezor and just kind of assuming the best for him. So... Uh, I, I think that he, it's not particularly unlikely that he has a good year. I maybe even records a, a few sacks and maybe even get some meaningful snaps. Yeah, I don't think it's unlikely either. You know, yeah, uh, and then offensive and defensive MVPs, I have Will Howard and Kobe Savage. I've got Will Howard and Daniel Green. Yep, I, I don't feel like there's a, I don't feel like there's any controversy there. Uh, best and worst games of the year in terms of how fun they are to watch. I think the most fun is going to be TCU. Troy is going to suck. That game is going to be awful to watch. I, I think you're probably right on Troy. I have TCU as well for my best game. I don't have Troy, but Troy, that's going to be... I feel like that game is going to be super hot. Because uh, it's like an 11 or 1 or 2. It's going to be a really, really hot game. We always have to have the hot G5 matchup. Yep. The, it's a tradition at this point. And uh, it's very annoying, frankly, but uh, we'll likely continue it. I'm going to say Missouri, though, um, because for K-State fans going, they'll have to um, dodge the uh, um, incoming uh, projectiles from Missouri fans. No, I'm joking. All right. <laughs> yeah, thanks, bro. <laughs> no, uh, we're not Colorado fans. Thanks. No, yeah. They, well, they throw batteries. Yeah. They... yeah. <laughs> At least they throw something useful. <laughs> but... um. Uh, Missouri, I I think it's going to be a tough game to watch for K-State fans because I do think it's going to be closer. Um, I have a lot of faith in their defense, Missouri. And so I think we may not be as uh, fast as we want to be against Mizzou. I still think we win the game, uh, but I, I just think we're going to be walking into it expecting a cakewalk. And I'm at least not right now expecting a cakewalk. All right. Last. <laughs> All right. Sorry, we're, we're looking at Maple, uh, the live Alley Cat mascot. But biggest question, does K-State find themselves in the Big 12 championship game? I do. I, I do think that they do. Um, I I think that they have a good schedule. Not an easy schedule, but their home slate is uh, solid. And I think that avoiding Oklahoma 
while it sucks, I'd like to play Oklahoma. Or it's, their free victory. Yeah. I, I would like that free victory, but maybe we can contribute that to Texas this year. But I'm honestly thinking 10-2 and two in the regular season right now is... I think nine and three is probably the reasonable estimation, but I'm gonna project ten and two, uh, just because we do have a lot of good teams at home. Um, we get KU and Oklahoma State on the road, uh, which aren't bad road matchups. Tech and Texas on the road is gonna be tough. That's brutal. Uh, if you can get one of those, I'll be a happy camper. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think I think the floor for this team should be eight and four. Reasonable expectation should be. Nine and three with some bad luck. I think the most likely outcome is probably ten and two, and I think the two losses do end up being Tech and Texas. If I had to pick two of those, and of course that's a uh, trying to avoid the G five upset. Please, knock on wood, everybody. But yeah, I I don't see a reason why, considering how this team is constructed, considering the schedule, like the only reason. I could see K-State not being in the Big 12 championship game is because Oklahoma State has Oklahoma State and Oklahoma both have the easiest schedules and neither of them are well okay Oklahoma is not a bad team Oklahoma State could be literally anything to me I, Mike Gundy though could probably take a tube of toothpaste and 15 toothpicks and lead them to a above 500 record so I am not high in Oklahoma State this year whatsoever. But that's going to be a weird game regardless because it's a Friday matchup. Uh, so that's, right. that's something unusual uh, for the team, especially that time of year. We haven't played a Friday game at that point in the season for a while. Uh, maybe Stanford back in like 2016, I think, we played them on a Friday. Um, so hopefully we're able to adjust and get ready for that uh, on the short week after the UCF game. Uh, which I guess like, might benefit us a little bit heading into Tech. We get an extra day. Um, but regardless, um, there's some trap games in here. There's some games that are going to look easy, and if you overlook them, it's going to be bad news. And there's going to be some games that are going to be easier for us. But at the end of the day, um, I'm not worried about the team's preparation as long as uh, Chris Kleiman is the coach. I think he's going to get them ready for every game. I think he'll be able to use Tulane as a motivator last year because they should have beat Tulane. Despite Tulane being a good team, they should have beat him. We were more, I think we were still more talented than Tulane. And we should have won that game, but it, I really think we overlooked them. Yep. So we can use that as a motivating factor. Uh, we can use Texas as a motivating factor. We can use TCU last year in the regular season as a motivating factor. And, and the Sugar Bowl as well. Uh, the team seems to have really taken the Sugar Bowl and uh, try and take some positivity uh, and uh, drive from it. Yep. One final question. Is K-State involved in any college game days this year? Not necessarily hosting, but a part of it. I think it's possible. I think the if you want to pinpoint a home game for K-State to have game day, I think you need to circle TCU. It has to be TCU if it's a home game. Yeah, I I think that's really your only option unless you roll with UCF if they get out to a hot start and they just want to broadcast like one of their like like one of the new school's uh, first Big 12 game. I bet there's better matchups that week though. Probably. Than K-State-UCF. So TCU is probably the big one. I could see Texas or uh Maybe at KU, depending on the season KU has. Uh, if they end up really overachieving, that could be a game day. 
uh, at KU. I think most likely is K is at K State Tech down in Lubbock. I think that's a really good choice as well. Uh, but I'd love to host game day um, if I'm K State. We haven't hosted game day in a while. Uh, it's probably been about twenty years at this point. Uh, so hopefully uh, we are able to get on game day. Although I'm not holding my breath for it. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the the season preview, including the depth chart and also different projections. Do you have any any final thoughts? I'm very, 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 very excited for football season to get underway because I am so sick of waiting and not having any college sports going on. Uh, but football returns soon, uh, at least. So one I'll month away from the from the time we're recording. One month exactly. That it is. That it is. You get to watch the glory that is Navy Notre Dame. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. that pretty much wraps up this episode of the Aggie Boat Alley Cats podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to contact or follow the show, you can follow us at, at Aggie Boat Acats on threads, Instagram, or Twitter. And you can email us at AggieBoatAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I'm at ACEdward00. I'm at Connor Balthazor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, you'll be able to do so very soon with some really nice merch designs that, trust me, coming out very soon. And uh, we really like them, so hopefully you will as well. But as of right now, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Or come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.